but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> David, you've told the story over the years many times about your Cayman Islands flight. Yeah, I guess I have mentioned that a couple of thousand times. Well, people are starting to get excited about the idea of making GA expeditions to Cuba. Cuba. Cuba? Cuba. Um, Havana. Cuba. Yeah. Um, you overflew Cuba when you did the Cayman Islands, right? Correct. Was there any, like, you know, fighter escort or i don't know what was there any any special anything special about transiting that airspace what, what was that like we we, we we were escorted by a formation of el presidente cuban cigars <laughs> yeah okay no, just just jerking your wingtip uh, uh yeah actually it was uh it was and still is a, a daily occurrence uh there are three uh corridors through which civilian traffic can overflock Cuba, uh-huh. and uh, but the drill is you have to file an international flight plan. You have to pay fees to the. Uh, well, if you're going to if you're going to Grand Cayman, you wind up paying fees to the government of Cuba and the government of Jamaica, and the uh, Cayman Islands uh, Ministry of Transportation, I believe it was, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how they're. That's how they're compensated for the service that they provide you. And I always found that interesting because we never talked to anyone from Jamaica. <laughs> but we we sliced through the western corner of their uh, airspace, the airspace that they uh, handle their traffic for. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's, and thereby incurred the, uh, the, the obligation to pay the fee. Um, it was... Uh, and actually pretty seamless for us because the Cayman Island caravan, the Cayman caravan people took care of all took the paperwork. All, yeah. yeah. And they remitted the fees out of the money that we paid to the Cayman Island and to the Cayman caravan right, folks. Right. Uh, when we did Mexico six months later, we faced the same issues uh, depending on whether we were flying VFR or IFR. And uh, for all the sundry fees that came with getting a weather briefing, filing a flight plan, a departure fee, an arrival fee, which, of course, comes first, uh, and uh, an en route fee, particularly for the IFR. And uh, we flew, let's see, one, two, three, four. We threw, flew eight or nine segments within Mexico, only one of which was VFR. And uh, we went back to IFR when we found out uh, through the courtesy of the uh, airport commandante at uh, Veracruz that when you fly VFR in Mexico, you don't squawk, period. There's no 1,200 VFR squawk. Mm -hmm. Now, that may have changed because we did this in 1999, so there's been a few years to go by. But... The only way that you were going to get service and talk to anybody and uh, and be seen by radar or TCAS, for that matter, 
was to have your transponder on, and they didn't want you to have your transponder on unless you were filing uh, and flying uh, on an instrument flight plan. Now, from Key West to Grand Cayman, that was we were required to be on an instrument flight plan, right. instrument airplane, instrument pilot. But it was pretty much seamless, and mm-hmm. and 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 I got to admit, and I, and I did a little uh, piece for AvWeb after this trip, uh, talking about the experience uh, that I found the uh, legibility, if you will, of the controllers in Havana to be superior to the legibility uh, or, or the ability to understand their English of the controllers in Miami Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the controllers in Miami centers tend to have a tended to have an accent and a drawl and talk slow, and the uh, Cuban uh, controllers in my in Havana Center uh, worked really hard to make their English as perfect as they could make it. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. So it was a piece of a piece of cake. Yeah. Jeb, I know Jeb, or at least I get the feeling, Jeb, that from once or twice a year you fly down to Key West. Um, ha- have you ever done the out across? The, I mean, seriously, out across the water, either Caymans or Bahamas, I did, or I did the the Cayman Caravan a couple of years later. Uh-huh. Um, I was uh, self loading freight in Mike Bush's three ten, so ah, okay. I couldn't really count. Um, I have been over water. <clears throat> excuse me, I've been over water um, further than I can glide to shore. Uh, I typically don't do that though when I go to Key West. It just doesn't seem right. You know, save maybe five or ten minutes. There's a lot of water uh, you can get into between Key West and Sarasota if you try to go direct. If I, if I, if I had a twin or regularly flew a twin mm-hmm. um, along that, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go direct. Yeah, uh, and- but I've got it worked out. There's a there's a nav fix, an intersection. Um, north and east of Key West, that's just offshore. Um, if I if I just go direct to that fix and then direct Key West from here, um, there are a bunch of islands I can easily glide to one of them, um, and and or the mainland, and mm-hmm. it's it's a nothing burger. Right, and, and that's what I was going to say. Uh, other than it being over over water to a certain extent, it's really no different than flying anywhere else in the U.S. in terms of yeah. like, airspace mm-hmm. and requirements and, and and even even the trip to the Caymans wasn't you know and Dave's 100% right um, I handled communications on that trip and um, the the uh, Havana controllers were easy to work with uh, easily understood uh, no issues yeah do you think you'll go to uh, Cuba one of these days I'd love to yeah I'd love to uh, it's not as seamless as, as I would like for it to be. Have you done any uh, of the research about what's involved? Yeah. Um, right now, I think you still have to have some kind of a, of a um, I don't know if I call it a business purpose, but yeah, an a, education. A special, a special need yeah, of some sort. A journalism, journalism qualifies. Okay. Um, and uh, I just haven't done the legwork to put together the, the paperwork and, and all that to get approval to do that. I don't have, you know, if if I was part of a uh, uh, a caravan or uh, another group of some kind to go down there, I wouldn't hesitate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just haven't. I just haven't done it. Yeah. 
I, and I, when, while you're talking about flying down in that part of the world, and Jeb was talking about the amount of water between Sarasota and Key West, there's also an ADIS between yeah. Sarasota and Key West uh, that requires you to file at least an hour in advance before you penetrate that ADIS. Right. And if you go to, what is it, uh, Everglades City. If you go down the coast south right. of uh, uh, Sarasota at Everglades City, there's a notch in the ADES mm-hmm. that you can fly through without that extra effort, without extra, right. without that hour right. filing, and that shortens up the amount of water that you cross substantially, and brings it down to about 50 miles, I believe it is. Uh, still longer than most of us are going to need to glide back to shore but you've got some islands just to the south of there where you could probably reach if you started out you know if you left the mainland at at 10,000 feet right and then and then had a problem you could probably reach Mm -hmm. Key Largo right right Jeb the one Uh, time I went with you to Key West that sounds like the route we took where exactly right yeah we 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 stayed along the the if you will mainland um, shoreline for most of the way most of the way that you could and then but then at a certain point we sort of turned 45 or so degrees to the right ish and uh, I'm not sure um, if one departed Key West for Sarasota I'm not sure the aid is is an issue uh, as long as you're on radar, you're taking off from a U.S. airport and landing at a U.S. airport, and yeah, you may cross or or you may cross two eight as boundaries. Um, but I think as long as you're on radar, they don't really care. If you're if you were smoking across the the Gulf from from somewhere in Mexico or something. Uh, they might feel differently. Oh, I see. You're not. You're, yeah, you're not saying you wouldn't bust the ADIS. You're saying they don't particularly care that you bust the ADIS. Yeah, as long as you're on a, as long as you're squawking a discrete code, and they've got, they know who you are. I don't think it really matters. Yeah, all they required us to do back when we did this was to file right. our IFR flight plan at least an hour in advance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't require anything beyond that, uh, and we didn't have time to waste, so we blasted off. And, uh, and headed to uh, Everglades City and then cut across from there, which, you know, we, we were there before we would have been leaving Sarasota. Right. We were in Key West before we would have been leaving Sarasota otherwise. And there's another option when you're in South Florida, and that's to go over to Marathon and just follow the key yeah. highway out. Right, right. Which is one big long alternate landing area. <laughs> okay, if you say so. <laughs> exactly. It's basically right. And I've done that. Um, low level at night too, which is kind of interesting. Just kind of follow the keys uh, up to the mainland and then turn left. Um, that was an interesting idea. Yeah. So I'm looking at the uh, sectional here, um, and uh, even if you go, even Everglades City direct Key West takes you through the eight. You bust the eight is. So so yeah. if you if you purely do not want to bust the eight is, you have to go even further. Um, and my recollection of the terrain that we followed, Jeb, is that we did in fact do that. But uh, um, yeah, I can't. I don't remember the name of that intersection down there. Let me let me see if I can bring up a map while we're talking. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to to imagine though going direct, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hidden River to Key West. 
um, you, you not only go way out over the water. I mean, you, you get feet wet like Fort Fort Myers, basically. Um, and uh-huh. yeah, and you right. not only bust the A did, yeah, that's the A is, but you bust a couple of W dash um, restricted. What are, what's a W? Yeah. Warning areas. That's just where uh, there might be intensive training going on. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, and warning areas are outside the twelve mile limit. Right. Um, and does a warning area require, um, um, you know, like approval, or, uh, or or can you, or just no, it's just you, look you, out. You you can go through there. Yeah. Um, so it's like a MOA. You can. Technically, yeah. You're on your well, own. Have fun. You're you're on your own. Have fun. Um, since those that airspace is outside the U.S. airspace. It can't be a restricted or a MOA. Ah. It's just charted as a warning area. Um, but all kinds of nonsense can go on in those in those warning areas. Not that it does. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I would think, yeah, maybe it does, actually. Yeah, that's um, sort of what I meant, uh, but yeah. Give me, a, give me a link for a uh, – I can't pull up a, uh, a charting uh, map. I went to I vfrmap.com and, uh, and then scrolled around to find uh, southern Florida, the southern tip of Florida. Yeah, okay. Yeah, let me see if I can find this intersection. It um, would be, let's see here. DVAL? DVALL? No. Um, it's not Carter. Carnew. 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 If you look at, if you yeah. look at uh, the, the VOR, Virginia, no, it's not Virginia Key, it's uh, Dolphin, the v, Dolphin VOR. And you look at the airway coming off to the southwest, Victor 157. You look at Duval. Yeah, I'm looking at VFR. Let me go to, let me go to IFR here. Uh, once you find Duval. Yeah, I got Duval. Uh, okay, then go, go southwest. Yeah. Along that way. Oh, Carnu, I see it. Yep. Carnu. Yeah. Now, if you look, Carnu is, is um, just outside the Aedas, and there's a, there's a flat corner there. And um, if I go direct Carnu from from Hidden River or from Key West, I'm outside the 80s. I don't cross it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can go direct. And I've got um, at least the uh, the instrument chart's a little deceptive. There are more islands there. And even if there weren't, you're looking at, you know, maybe 10 miles of, of uh, flying where you're, depending on your altitude, you're not within lighting range from something above the water. Sure. Yeah. I wonder what reading they'll give you to Havana. Uh, to Havana? Well, yeah. let's, let's scroll down. Uh, this chart's not coming, not bringing it up Havana. Yeah, it may not I go pull, far south. I go, yeah, I can go get my uh, four-flight. Uh, it's just there. a matter. Anyways, we've, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've spent enough time on this one. That's interesting, though. Um you know, we spent. You know, we spent you know, all. I might have. There's some. There might be some other nuance on warning areas, but basically, um, you know, anything goes in those, and, and they're not really. It's not really an airspace that uh, uh, ATC controls. Yeah, I just called up. Oh yeah, see, but it's probably not. I just called up uh, Google Maps satellite view of that area to see those islands you're referring to. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they're so far offshore that Google Maps isn't serving that that uh, satellite image. So. Anyways, warning area is an airspace of defined dimensions extending from three nautical miles outward from the coast of the U.S. that contains activity that may be hazardous to non-participating aircraft. <laughs> I don't know what the... Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Hazardous to Non-Participating Aircraft. 
to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire, talking to my two very good friends here in our virtual hangar, where we're just kind of ruminating on the subject of flying to unusual places. You, you, you have an urge to get back south? As a matter of fact, I do, but that wasn't what brought this up. Well, maybe it is, unconsciously. But uh, that's one of my good friends there. That's that's Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Yeah. I'm I'm jealous. Every now and then, you know, my uh, my little uh, my little uh, Jeb uh, stalking software thing tells me that you've launched for Key West, and I go, darn! Mm-hmm. I wish I could do that. That would be a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. uh, um, and you, it's it's literally a day trip for you. You jump in the airplane and you fly down, and I can. From turning the key on the airplane, I can be walking on Duval Street in an hour and a half. Yeah, see, I can't get to, I can't get to uh, to. It's, it's an hour. Boston it's an hour ten. Hour, yeah, it's an hour ten. Hour fifteen. Yeah. To get to Key West, and then you know, ten minute cab ride in your downtown. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the day trips are easy that way. Yeah. And my other good friend here in the uh, virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. Dave Higdon. Hi, David. Hello, Jack. Hello, Jeb. Hello, David. What's going on with you, David? How are you doing? Is it? Uh, is it? I, I seem to think that there's some weather or environmental thing going on out there. I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking about other times of year. Is it? Oh, I know what the environmental uh, thing is. Oh no, 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 no. I know. I know what the environmental hurricane. Oh, they got a hurricane in, in Kansas. Kansas has got a lot of weather issues. Hurricanes, I don't think, are a big danger up there. Um, well, sometimes we catch the remnant of the ones that come into Texas from the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, when they deteriorate into a strong uh, tropical storm, they sometimes last long enough to get through Texas and the Oklahoma Panhandle and and give us some of the uh, moisture that the farmers love to see for their uh, for their right. wheat crops. Right, but it's still not a you know sort of New Orleans Katrina kind of experience, right? It's no, 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 yeah. no. Right, and uh, um, yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Things change. The the more things. Oh, I don't know. There's a saying in there someplace. Um, so, anyways, I know what 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 weather environmental thing that I was thinking of in regards to you, David, and to Jeb as well, and that is the eclipse. Uh, uh-huh. We just had the eclipse, and uh, the eclipse the, the eclipse was cool in lots of different ways. Uh, for a lot of people, it was an aviation experience. I, I heard from of, people yeah. all over the country who. Uh, um, there, there, there are people were taking screenshots of the, uh, you know, ADSB and and other uh, radar return information for f- for uh, uh, flights along the totality path, and uh, it it looked a little borderline scary sometimes. I mean, there was just a lot of airplanes along that line, and uh, I don't know. Did either of you try and go fly in the in the darkness? I, I did not. I talked about it. I thought about it. I wanted to. I just didn't manage yeah. to do it. Um, and it would have been a little bit, you know, I'd have probably been by myself and, you know, okay, fly through the totality. Uh, I'm not going to put on any glasses that I can look at the sun, mm-hmm. not while I'm flying an airplane. Right. Uh, so I was, you know, okay. If, if I had some passengers that could, that could benefit, it would have been a different, different sure. trip, yeah. uh, outcome. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's some really amazing uh, photos and videos oh, yeah. floating around about this. Um, people who 
actually saw the circular shadow moving across the ground. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, just some astounding footage out there about from from airplanes, um, either airliners or GA aircraft or or, or whatnot. Um, I I alluded last episode to the fact that our buddy uh, Steve Tupper was going to be uh, out um, in the air that day uh, collecting. Um, reports and footage and whatnot and he really was um and he's given us a sneak peek at some of the stuff he's apparently putting together a special episode of uh, the airspeed podcast where he's going to uh, he he, so it's not bad enough it's not like jealous making enough that he got to go flying during the eclipse and got this special view of the eclipse do you know what airplane he went flying in in the eclipse all right. I'm not sure I want to hear And I this. tumbled to this at first. I tumbled to this at first when he was posting on Facebook um, that he was viewing the eclipse from 15,500 feet. All right. And I was going, all right, 15,500 feet is not one of his gliders, and it's probably it's not, not a 172. Not all right. He was in a, I don't know if it was rented or borrowed or whatever, um, uh, Piper Meridian. Uh, Malibu, Malibu Meridian, I believe, or, but that class of airplane. He yeah. was in a he was in a pressurized turboprop. All right, tooling along at fifteen five, enjoying the eclipse above the clouds, and uh, he's. Well, we don't we don't like him anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. Huh? Either that, or we want him to be a better friend of ours. Yeah, uh, well, you know. But uh, yeah, he was up there with. Uh, he was in the left seat. He had a CFI friend in the right seat because uh, Steve is apparently not checked out to fly that airplane all by himself, anyways. Um, and then he had uh, a third friend in the back seat, and Fod, uh, Steve's son. Yeah. Uh, 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 oh, I'm embarrassed. Nicholas. I Nick, know. Nicholas is uh, yeah. his son. Nick. I don't know if he likes to call called Nick or Nicholas. We all call him Fod. Uh, well, Fod so the there were some interesting descriptions of that phenomenon uh, as seen from altitude. Yeah. And the one that stuck out most for me was it was like sunrise or sunset on a 360-degree horizon hmm. and night in the middle. Yeah. R- yeah, right. That's what I've read, that people have talked about it being sunrise, sunset at 360 degrees. Um, and, uh, and, you know... The uh, people are really speaking in in I don't know metaphysical you know I don't want to say religious exactly but that kind of terms uh, um, about this whole thing apparently it was quite a uh, a what did we call it one time Jeb a a, a mystical magical experience a, uh, a mystical magical uh, a ma- mi- mystical conversions no well that was one as well yeah but uh, there was a, we had a magical experience one time ours was on the west ramp of Oshkosh but a lot of people have had it um, <laughs> with the uh, and, and there was no uh, physical contact involved if you say so. That's the story, and we're sticking to it. Um, apparently, it was quite a, quite a thing, the, the eclipse, to be there in the tota- totality, I guess is what they call it. Um, it's really made me, because I, I kind of like was lukewarm about the whole thing. Uh, you know, when it was, I knew it was coming, and I'm, I know a lot of people were doing this, and I was thinking, uh, should I try and do something special? And, and uh, like you, Jeb, I thought about it, but decided not to. And, uh, um, but this has got me thinking, it's another one coming up, I, ironically. 2024, there's another one coming up. The, the flip side of which is, years ago, when I was um, um, about as tall as a wheel pan, um, I saw uh, there was another eclipse. I was living in Illinois at the time. I think it was like 63 or something like that. And we did the whole pinhole camera thing mm-hmm. and, and all that. So, yeah, I've kind of sort of done that. You talk about the interesting photographs that have come out of this stuff. The most most interesting one I saw was a time lapse um, 
that showed the moon coming in to cover the sun as the International Space Station yeah. went across the di- the sun's disk. I, I think I've seen I've seen photos like that. That, yes. that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, have we heard? So when when we when we started to hear that, that so many GA pilots were going to take advantage of this time to go flying and and try and experience it from the air, started making nervous about whether or not there were going to be uh, um, problems, uh, 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 you know, close calls and so forth. Have we heard any reports? There was there was one crash of someone traveling to an eclipse area. Uh, well, sadly, a fatal crash. That, yeah, that one, that one kind of irked because the this is like the, the okay the eclipse was on on Monday. This is like Friday. Yeah, yeah. So it was and, not really and, related. Yeah, yeah you, you really can't say it was related. The, there was some traffic on the uh, DC pilots list, to which I uh, um, um, have frequently referred over the years, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of people reported there. Um, uh, trips. They had a great time. Uh, popped into some airports in, uh, I don't know, North Carolina, um, uh, maybe South Carolina, um, something like that. And uh, you know, there was a lot of traffic, but it was all well behaved. Uh, ATC um, was was in good shape. Uh, no worries there. Those kinds of things. So a lot, a lot of people had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Who sent me a link just now? Was that David? What's this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, the next yeah, one. Yeah, right. The next one. Yeah. April April eighth of twenty twenty four, and it will be on kind of a, uh, a perpendicular route compared to the one that we just had on Monday on yeah. the twenty first. Yeah, and for uh, me, the the notable thing here is that uh, the totality line uh, will be about a two or three hour drive from where I live here in uh, Lookout oh. Point. So, uh, you know, it'll be cool. Yeah. yeah, we got a couple follow-ups here uh, from past episodes. Let's see what we got here. Um, so apparently they're going through with the 747s. I don't even think this is worth talking about, or is it? I don't know. Um, they, uh, I, I thought this was already a deal. It's a, so who posted this? David probably. Uh, and uh, it says, or, yeah, David posted uh, Air Force Boeing agree on a deal for the two new Air Force 747s. Is this something new since we talked about it last episode, David? Well, uh, they they signed a contract. That's what's new. Okay. And it is the two 747-8s that were uh, mothballed after their Russian customer was unable to uh, take delivery. So they've never been in service, uh, but they were finished up and ready to go to the Russians. And now they've got uh, Boeing as a contract to uh, convert them uh, into the next uh, Air Force One platforms. Which means a whole lot of rework yeah. is ahead. Yeah, uh, and I think we're, I, I, if I remember right, the talking about the uh, service entry date, just about coinciding with the next solar eclipse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Oh, never mind. There's a joke in there somewhere. All right. Well, all right. So they're going to do it. I thought it was. I thought this. We we had reached this point last time we talked about it, but uh, and it's it's gonna. It's more likely to happen now. I'm pretty cynical about these things. We'll see. I um, believe it when yeah, they fly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, friend, friend friend of mine pinged me about this uh, a couple. Uh, well, yesterday actually. And said, so since they're taking these two finished airplanes, 
they'll be able to get it into service, get them into service sooner than if they waited on, you know, the Boeing uh, order and production pipeline to do its magic and, you know, build the airframes and then send them to the mod shop, which I believe will be in Oklahoma this time. Uh, like, no, uh, the airplanes are already built, but they're in nowhere near uh, the shape and uh, configuration that they'll need to be to uh, take the place of the current current uh, 747-200s that are being used. And uh, that's probably going to eat up as much time as it would have taken for Boeing to build right. to on its regular production line, get them off, do the acceptance flights, and then deliver them to the mod center. Right. But wait, this may be a dumb question. Is Boeing still building 7-4s? Didn't we hear recently they stopped? Yeah. They yeah. are still building them. I know. Oh, the, yeah. The original ones were finally being retired. The very, very original ones, I guess. That's the story I'm remembering. Uh, well, I believe they've stopped building the 400s now. Uh, yeah. uh, that was that was the, uh, the, the model that was dominant. Actually, it was the dominant model when these uh, two 747-200s were delivered as uh, BC, what are they, 35s? 25. 25s. Uh, because the order of those airplanes had uh, taken place during the Reagan administration. And then you roll through the time to produce the airplanes, and then they came here to Wichita for about two and a half years of uh, of fit out, uh, the completion center work, putting in the cabinetry and the interiors, fitting all the uh, military uh, specialty hardware like uh, air-to-air refueling system and all that. Uh, so having these airplanes sitting ready uh, in mothballs, ready to be demothballed and put back into flying condition uh, is not going to save them all that much time because these airplanes have to have the interiors pulled and right. uh, all this retrofit work done that could have been done on the airplanes coming down the production line and saved some time then. So I think 2024 was what they were originally shooting for, and 2024 is pretty much what they're going to get. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Another follow-up here. Uh, we talked last episode about the Air Canada almost taxiway landing um, incident um, of a month or so, two months ago, something like that. And uh, and I asked uh, the question during the podcast whether or not there were procedural changes that might be implemented in order to uh, to reduce the likelihood of this happening again. And apparently, SFO has in fact done that now. Um, yeah. And uh, there there and and go, speaking to I believe it was Jeb's question about having the unlit left runway. Um, as I understand it, and maybe you got, and I'm about to finish saying everything I know about the subject, which is that when those lights are out, when those runway lights are out, there are different procedures or something like that. Do you know more detail about what these new SFO procedures are? Um, I hang guess on not. A <clears throat> hang on a second. Yep. I, th I saw something, and maybe it was that they they had to fly the ILS or something like that. Um, you know, or something like that. Call the ball, right? You know, I don't know if that yeah. would even have worked, but yeah. Um, uh, SFO rules changed. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, no longer issue visual approaches to air crews approaching SFO at night when an adjacent parallel runway is closed. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Damn it. Um, yeah, Federal Aviation Administration uh, Public Affairs Manager said his agency will no longer issue visual approaches to air crews approaching SFO at night when an adjacent parallel runway is closed. Okay. Now, is that so a, that means that, go ahead. I was going to say, is that an, was that an FAA issuance or is that an SFO issuance? Who, who's decided that? Um, this is FAA. This is FAA, yeah. It's not yeah. a local rule. Um, they can do that, you know, at the tower level or just change, change their internal procedures. Yeah. Um, so basically, you, you know, they'll either get a, an ILS, a localizer, or um, a GPS approach to that runway. Right, right. And, and it, all this really does, I mean, in terms of uh, the, the flight crew workload, is mean that they're going to have to keep the approach plates out for whatever runway it is, whether they're, you know, on a, not talking paper plates anymore, of course, but uh, electronic flight bag or, or computer screen depictions of the approach plate. Because uh, these guys file IFR, they fly IFR, even on a CAVU day, and they don't cancel usually until they're on final, if, if then. Mm-hmm. And they'll do that cancellation to help free up capacity so that the uh, controllers can run them a little closer together than they're allowed to under IFR rules. No, they're not, I don't think they're going to cancel at all. I think they're just going to, once they have the airport in sight um, or, or the environment in sight sometimes, um, they'll they'll report that and, and ATC will clear them for a vision. Right. I mean, I'm not instrument rate, but if, you're, mm. if you can't accept the visual, then you can't cancel, can you? You no, you, you whatever. Not, yeah. not legally. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you, you can cancel anytime you want. Uh, it might not be to your benefit. Um, yeah, is the quick answer yeah. uh, to Jack's question. I mean, there's there are other variations. There's the contact approach um, um, and things like that. You could even uh, some facilities even have a uh, a radar approach that they could uh, they could uh, use, but. Um, what we're talking here basically is, is published approaches. Right, right. Okay, all right. There's a bunch of stories here on the list regarding this. They all kind of, this almost seems like noise to me. Are there any of these stand out that we should talk about? Or um, The San Jose Mercury News no, is making I mean, trouble I, I, here. They always make trouble. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think, I think, you know, we talked it out yeah, okay. on the last episode too. So. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, Let's see but they here. they identified they identified an issue. They studied uh-huh. the issue. They issued a fix to the issue, and everything will be fine and dandy and copacetic until something new happens. Yeah, right. exactly right. Yeah. Well, apparently the invest there's still an investigation going on, right? Or is there? Is that that's not completed yet? Is it? I, I'm sure the investigation is still going yeah, on. Yeah. 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 So well, there'll be an, some sort of official statement at some point, I would imagine. Okay. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. 
Thanks. Final last bit of follow-up here. Um, get your ATC privatization checklists here. What is this all about? This is a... Uh, what it is is a uh, set of talking points, which politicians use all the time and lobbyists use all the time when they're trying to press an argument and not miss any salient points. So... NBAA has done something similar. AOPA has done this. EAA has a, a, a version of their contact list uh, to, to help people get a hold of their lawmakers. This is a set of talking points on okay. what to oppose and, and what we feel is, what we and GA feel is uh, the shortcomings of the privatization uh, uh, effort. And, uh, you know, some of it follows along the lines of what Rick Perry had to say on our closing day podcast at Oshkosh last month. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is for folks that uh, get out in their district, go to their congressman's town hall meetings. Uh, I attended a town hall meeting of a congressional candidate on Sunday, and it was uh, it was about health care. But during the break. I made a point of uh, hitting him up on the issue and found out he's already on the right side of the issue. Mm-hmm. And I just let it left it at that. No need to, you know, okay. to, to, to beat a horse that's already in your lane. So, so this is to help folks out if they're going to go to a town meeting, if they're going to encounter their congressman or their lawmaker, uh, if they want to send a letter to the editor, if they get questions from neighbors. Well, why wouldn't it be great to have the airlines running air traffic control? Yeah. Uh, my immediate answer would be, look at how great a businessman is running our White House. But then that would be getting too political. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so this is, uh, uh, yeah, so we'll put a link in the show notes, um, or you could Google, probably if you Googled ATC privatization checklist AOPA, you'll probably find this. And it seems to be available to non-members as well. So uh, um, you can do yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I just loaded it up. It's, it's, I'll yeah. send you a link. Well, you got but, the link. Yeah. They have a direct. They have a direct link to the PDF, yeah. and then you can take the PDF and print it out, or yeah. commit it to memory, or have it tattooed on the inside of your arm, whatever you want to do, or email it, or do whatever else yeah. you want. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay. You know, it just goes to show you how blasé I've become about this. Um, either that, or how, how how um, it's become a I don't know what the right metaphor here is um, because one would have thought I would have brought this up at the very top of the podcast but I sort of forgot all right and that is it's our birthday this is our birthday episode it was about that oh my god yeah you guys as if you as if you had forgotten as well 11 11 something years ago I was going to use some sort of uh, expletive 11 expletive years ago all right uh, we got together and recorded the very first episode of this podcast uh, it was actually one half a score in one year yeah that's right it was uh, <laughs> <laughs> half a score okay I like it could be a, that could be an episode title um, yeah it was uh, it was actually t- 11 years ago it's thursday today uh it was actually 11 years ago on uh, tuesday that uh, the 22nd of uh, august that we recorded the very first episode of this podcast and so you're tell- you're telling me we've turned it up to 11 we have there we that's the title right there okay all right here we go um it's uh, it's uh, it's been quite a ride. It's not done yet, I don't think. But uh, it's, it's not done been, yet. It's been quite a ride. Uh, is, is this uh, any any aspect of it stand out to you guys? I know what you're going to say. Well, you think about that. Let me tell you what I think. What, what, here's one 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 
<laughs> one. Well, you don't know what I'm going to say. I think I do. Um, so After 11 I, years, maybe you do. So Tuesday, yeah, there you go. Tuesday uh, afternoon, I posted on both Twitter and Facebook um, that uh, that it was the 11th birthday of, of Uncontrolled Airspace. And uh, it was very, very touching, the number of people who uh, spoke up and, and congratulated us, gave us a little pat on the back or a, or a thumbs up or a, or a uh, you know, a heart or whatever um, on Twitter and and, uh, and Facebook and uh, and I, I you know and literally there was over a hundred um, yeah. so um, I can't obviously name them all but to everybody um, who has uh, spoken up on social media to the folks who uh, said hi to us and, and wished us well at, at Oshkosh and, and in general everybody there's just thank you so much it's uh, that's the you know I mean and and that's it's almost cliche now for us to 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 uh, to talk about how cool the listeners are but they really are and uh, yeah. um, that's one thing I would like to point out. Um, what else? It's interesting. What, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. We, we have time. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to take up all the things you guys might have been talking about. It's what goes around comes around. And, you know, things stays the change. History repeats itself. All these kind of cliches are true because it's really interesting. The number of things that we spoke about in the first half dozen handful of episodes that we still talk about today yeah. i mean yeah. you know drones and faa reauthorization and personal you know well we don't talk about personal jets quite so much but we did back in those days and we sort of do now um it's really AT, interesting atz privatization uh, yeah man. you know and uh, and uh, uh user fees and you know all these things that just have been around for 11 years and more because they were old when we talked about them 11 years ago and uh, and congress is continuing in ability to pass an FAA reauthorization on time on schedule and in a meaningful for a meaningful period of time that's still with us yeah <laughs> I got the feeling you have some strong feelings on this subject <clears throat> I'm shocked by that yeah, I know uh-huh. huh um, have you thought of anything you want to say about that I, I know you have plenty of ideas it's it's kind of difficult to pick out well, one but uh, you know let me, let me jump in first of all it's been a gas you know Getting sitting down and, and chatting with you guys uh, periodically over the last eleven years, um, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, Thank you for saying uh, that, and I agree completely. Yeah, you know, David and I have known each other for a lot longer, but you know, Jack and I didn't really know each other that well, uh, say well, twelve or thirteen years ago, and it's been a lot of fun getting to know Jack a lot better, and and you know, I, I would be remiss if I did not publicly take this opportunity to thank him. For all the hard work he's put in, much much more work and effort than than uh, Dave and I have put in. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and and you know Jack again publicly, let me thank you for for every, all of that and and making this thing work because Dave and I would have you know wouldn't have even gotten involved, much less uh, uh, carried it this far. Um, well, so thank you, thank you, thank you, for, thank thank you, for you again. That. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but uh, beyond that, you know, yeah, uh, everything you just said. I mean. Uh, uh, it's opened a lot of doors. It's um, um, allowed me and, and all of us to, to meet a lot of people we would not otherwise know. Uh, it's allowed us to to do things that we might not have otherwise done, and it's it's all a net plus. There's no question about that. A, f- yeah. a big big time uh, net plus. Yeah. David, anything you want to jump in here? Anything? Well, first off, I echo everything that. Uh, uh, Jeb said, uh, I still remember the evening conversation in 1990, uh, 2005, when we were driving up to 
uh, mm-hmm. Nakajima's sushi in Appleton with uh, you leaning up from the back seat going, you, you, you guys, would the, the way you talk, it'd make a great pot- podcast. It's like, yeah, right. Had to drag okay. you in kicking and screaming, but y'all came around eventually, so that's okay. Yeah, the next year he dragged us in kicking and screaming. Uh, and I, I, I got to touch on some, some of the high points that have occurred in these 11 years. Yeah. Uh, the first time working on the show daily at Oshkosh, uh, the, the year after we started, the first time somebody recognized my voice mm-hmm. totally freaked me out. Uh, but I hung in. Uh, and you really, yeah, you, you really, it really freaked you out. You were not comfortable with that idea. I was not happy. I was not comfortable. Uh, now I'm gratified and humbled and, and try to take it in the spirit in which it usually arrives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the experience of being on the Welcome Center stage at Air Venture for our 200th episode yeah. and having Tom Poberesny come up and congratulate us and having uh, some mystery friends present us with a big sign that said UCAP 200 filled with bottles of Leinenkugels, yep. uh, which was the catalyst to the first tie-down party it was absolutely uh-huh. the catalyst and and, and, and the that, bottles that, of beer that, are long gone i still have that sign you know and you know that what are we going to do with all this beer we all can't take it home uh with, with different ways we were traveling and jack says well i'll Where's tweet that? facebook that we're going to have a meetup <laughs> and we'll just give it all away and we did not give it all away but we gave enough of it away and halfway through that little impromptu get together at the same location as always uh people started asking so you're going to do this again same place next year which is how it became the tradition that it is yeah uh, the experience of sitting in front of an evening crowd at a potapalooza and being presented with the Bax, Gordon Baxter Trophy, the Backseat Award from Flying Magazine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a high point. That definitely uh, was. Yeah. Being recognized for our, our contribution as a medium uh, in, in general aviation. Uh, watching Jack get named Podcaster of the Year, mm-hmm. I think, the next year. Uh, it was the next year or the year after. Keep in mind the fix was in big time on that one. But okay, thank you. That was nice. It was nice. And I have the little the little trophy, the little uh, the, the the award thing, and uh, I, yeah. I display it proudly. That's a cool thing. Yeah, as, as well you should. And uh, the number of people who have have uh, come out of crowds, walked across rooms, stopped me at. Sun and Fun and Oshkosh and NBAA and HAI and Sebring and, and uh, uh, the uh, showcase at Deland just to say hi and thanks and, and, and offer their gratitude for whatever it is we contribute to the, to the, the conversation about general aviation. To all of you, you make our days. We're the reason we're here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I, and I want to I want to pull out a little bit of detail on one thing you just mentioned there, David. Um, not simply the people who have said you know thanked us for you know being you know being evangelists for aviation. The the the, the people who have come to us and said 
I started listening to your podcast, and as a result of that, I went out and started flying lessons, you know, or I returned to flying after, you know, being away from it for a long time. And and that's not an isolated story, I'm really proud to say. Um, hear this story all the time. As a matter of fact, though, we were hanging out at, at Oshkosh this summer with a, a listener who I'm pretty sure began his flight training after first hearing about us many years ago, hearing the podcast many years ago. Um, and today is a CFI, all right? I mean, has really mm-hmm. gone the whole route, all right? And uh, Oh, he's a CFI. He's an ATP. He's oh, yeah. an ANP. Yeah. So uh, uh, he, know, he knows who we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, that's just, that's very, that's, I, I can It's gratifying. hard to think of higher praise than I yeah. started flying because I, you guys made it sound cool. That's pretty nice. That's pretty nice. Anyways, 11 years. So we're starting year 12. And all right, I confess, I'm going to make, I'm going to confess right here and now, I, I, I'm going to regret this. I know I'm going to regret this. All right. But I sat down the other day and tried to figure out when would episode 500 happen. Yeah. So see, I'm stuck. I'm hooked. So when, when would that happen? I, I'm not going to say that on the podcast. Okay. First of all, it's a long ways away. Do the math. All right. Lots okay. of things can change. Uh, sadly, it does not comfortably fall during one of the fly-ins. That's what I was hoping for. I was uh, uh, just, Well, we, you know, we can jigger that a little bit. Uh, you know what? It's <laughs> We'll talk about it offline. But uh, it's, <laughs> I, I, I tried to figure out how to jigger it a little bit, you know. And, uh, I mean, other than just literally counterfeiting numbers, it wasn't going to work very easily. We were going to either have to do a lot more episodes than we've been doing or a lot fewer episodes than we've been doing. And uh, so, anyways, thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. We, we, yeah, we, very much. We love hearing from you. So send us, keep those cards and letters coming. Exactly. Uh, we really are reaching the end of our allotted time here. Are there any of these new subjects things that we ought to really talk about? Let's see here. Uh, flight following after mm-hmm. ADSB. People say there will be flight following after ADSB, but it will yes. be limited and diminishing. Is that well, a fair summary? The, the, there will always be flight following. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, I'm sorry. Let's, Flight following for people who haven't installed the ADSB equipment. No, but, but hang on a second. Hang on a second. Okay. There will, there will always be flight following, period. Um, you may, down the road, and that road may be a fairly long road, uh, you may need ADSB to obtain flight following, yes. depending on your routing, depending on your altitude. The, the, the issue is um, decommissioning of the land or terrestrial based radar systems. Um, that um, uh, will be we're transitioning to um, via ADSB. ADSB works with ground stations, but they're not radio. Uh, excuse me, they're not radar. They're radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as as these radar facilities are decommissioned, um, transponder or let's call it mode A or mode C based um, flight following may be very difficult to come by. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we're, st- we're still talking 10 years down the road. Right. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Anything to add to that, David, or is that good? That's good. Yeah, okay. uh, the, the people people uh, need to remember the airspace where ADSB is required is the same airspace where we need mode C today. Mm-hmm. And flight following is most of us are in that kind of airspace when we request flight following. Uh, the, the airspace where you don't need ADSB is such a small strata of airspace 
And as Jeb accurately pointed out, as radar gets decommissioned, uh, coverage on some of those areas, which are basically going to be down low to the ground and, and up to about 10,000 feet within 12 or 1,500 feet of the ground, that's, that coverage is going to disappear. And if you don't have ADSB, um, it's going to be hard for them to give you flight following mm-hmm. uh, if they can't see you, if there's no radar there. Uh, second catalyst uh, or an incentive, I think, to uh, getting ADSB should be uh, the ability of other people to see you when you're in airspace with uh, limited radar coverage and eventually no radar coverage because ADSB will let people see you even if you're not seeing them on ADSB in. Uh, having that out is not just for the convenience of the controllers, but it's also for the ability of uh, ADSB in equipped aircraft to see you as well as the controllers. And I'll plug something that Rick Perry uh, had in his column this week. He's the VP of Government uh, Relations and Industry Affairs at the Aircraft Electronics Association, and he talked about uh, privatization uh, and and his feelings about it on our Closing Day podcast at Oshkosh. His column this week uh, talks about the uh, current discussion among some folks that the FAA's just got to delay it because there's not the capacity to get everybody installed. And his argument is, and I think valid, is that there is that capacity, but you got to get in line. Well, and you got to get in line to have a, a, an installation slot because uh, we've still got over two years to do it. And the, the, the canard that it's overly expensive has gone away in the last 18 months. Yeah. You can you can get an ADSB out solution now for under two grand, and if you just get your slot in, and then have it installed within 150 days of uh, of, of uh, September 18th, you can still get 500 bucks back from the FAA on having it put in. Uh, and I figure in another six months we'll see some other new lower cost solutions that are going to bring it down closer to a thousand bucks. That's not going to give you WASP GPS navigation. It's not going to automatically give you ADSB in so you can get that free traffic and weather that the, the, the carrot that the FAA created in this system. But it's not just for the convenience of the controllers. It's for all those other guys out there flying faster and higher to be able to see you in the airspace to have it. And now that the cost is under too grand. Uh, this idea that it's not practical for a thirty thousand dollar airplane is is losing its steam. Yeah. Uh, it's you know it's just not valid anymore. Yeah. So okay, if, if you want to be safe and you want to be smart, uh, get yourself in line, get yourself signed up, and and get in the system because it's going to grease the skids for other things down the road. Yeah, Jeb, anything you want to add to wrap this up? Just just real quick, uh, we saw it at AirVenture last month. Uh, some new products being introduced. One of them uh, from UAvionics uh, was a basically a bolt-on ADSB um, product in the in the form factor of a um, position light, a wingtip nav light. Um, take off old 
um, nav light, bolt on new um, nav light, and you know do the paperwork and Shazam, you got ADSB, and that's that's some pretty cool stuff. Um, that particular product is not approved quite yet, but it will be by the end of the year. And even if it's 19.99, um, any moron can install that in an hour. And I'm and I'm just any moron who can do it for you. But um, um, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there will be other products like that as, as you know, simplified, purpose-built. Um, now that um, um, in, in UAvionics has a it has developed a chip. Now UAvionics has supplied a lot of chips to over the years, a lot of subsystems to uh, ADSB, uh, others who who incorporate those chips into their ADSB products. Um, now the company kind of developed its own in-house chip, and it's uh, about uh, half the size of a nickel or a dime. Uh, I've got a picture somewhere of a of a coin next to it, and I forget if it was a nickel or a dime, but it was about half the size. It, it's you know sit on your fingertip, and and that's what it takes these days to 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 make that happen. Um, we will see, um, continue to see now before the deadline and after the deadline comes and goes. We will continue to see new products. Um, that should not stop anybody to, to putting ADSB in the airplane. I've had mine in for a year and a half now. And um, um, you, you, you can have it, you can take it from me over my cold, dead hands. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, yeah, now's a good time to do this. And, and one thing Rick uh, in his article um, kind of pulled punches on was uh, um, dude, you know, you've had eight years to figure this out. Um, <laughs> this is not something new, this is not something that's just popped up overnight. We've been talking about ADSB on this podcast for that long, um, and um, don't don't act surprised on January one, twenty twenty, when you can't go somewhere. And, and, and you mentioned Uvionics, uh, uh, which made a splash with several products at, yeah. at Oshkosh. The yeah. uh, the one that Jeb was talking about, the Sky Beacon. Uh, Works with your existing transponder. It bolts on in place of a wingtip position light, like Jeb said. It talks wirelessly to the transponder. It's got its own GPS engine for the out. Uh, they also, the same company also makes a little box called Echo. Echo is a universal uh, access transceiver. Has it is designed to work with those of you that already have a WAS GPS that's compliant. It'll work with your WAS GPS. It'll work with your multifunction display, or it'll work wirelessly with your uh, uh, tablet. And it works with your existing transponder, and it's a thousand dollars, nine ninety nine. So there's options out there, folks. That. Uh, are making it possible for for us to do this without breaking the bank, without selling the airplane that we love. Uh, but it, 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 don't be holding your breath for the FAA to extend the deadline. As Jeb said, we, you know, we've, we've had eight years knowing that this was coming so far, and we've got two more to get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, Shout-outs, I think. Anything... <laughs> you think? Well, I think we're running out of our uh, allotted time. So what do you got for shout-outs? I got a couple, 
But uh, well, let me do one quick and dirty because I just alluded to it in my last little uh, tirade. Yeah. Uh, you have until September 18th. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, to get your paperwork in for the $500 rebate for ADSB in, uh, out installation. And then you have 150 days after it's installed to prove that it's workable. And you submit the paperwork that shows that your uh, installation passed the test. You get your $500 back. Yeah. And with solutions now under two grand and down as low as a thousand bucks. 500 bucks sounds like a really good chunk of change to want to get back. So act now. This is a limited time offer. <laughs> yeah, okay. Jim, what do you got? Um, something I just came across recently, thanks to uh, General Aviation News, is a blog mm-hmm. at the NTSB. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah. Written, written by NTSB staff? Written, written by NTSB officials, yeah. Um, um, talking about, um, it's called NTSB Safety Compass. It's um, Safety Compass, one word, dot wordpress.com. And um, there's some interesting material in there. For example, some, some pointers on uh, the general aviation accident investigation process, um, things like that. Uh, so, you know, just a real quick shout out to the NTSB for, for this kind of uh, outreach. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to take yeah. a look. I'm going to take a look. I want to give a shout out, quick shout out to uh, our uh, uh, UCAP pal, uh, Jamie Beckett, uh, who is a, uh, and is, is quite the, talk about evangelists through general aviation and has been for a long yes. time down in the central Florida area. I call central. Would you call that central Florida? Um, he's in the, yeah. uh, in the. Uh, yeah. Winter Haven. Winterhaven, thank you. Winterhaven area. Winter, yeah, um, active CFI. Uh, he's one of AOPA's, uh, what do they call it? Uh, evangelists or, or uh, ambassadors. Ambassadors, thank you. Um, flies one of the cool yellow 150s. And, uh, um, but my shout out specifically to Jamie right now is that he's having more fun than y- anybody ought to have, okay? Sadly, for it, it, it all came about for a very uh, sad reason um, is that uh, his dad, who was uh, quite the pilot, was has spent years building an air cam and uh and then uh, about a year or so ago um uh, jamie's dad tragically passed away suddenly um and the air cam had just been finished but not been flown and mm. uh, jamie being the only family member who was really actively involved in aviation um ended up with his dad's air cam and he, he recently got it down in florida about three four five weeks ago it seems um and has started flying it for the first time and uh and if you look at the postings he's putting on social media he's just having too much fun with this airplane um it's you know and he's flown a lot of different kinds of airplanes in his in his time but i I get the feeling this one is very different out in the open air you know the Mm -hmm. whole thing and uh it's it's just it's a hoot to watch to read and and to watch his videos um so my shout out is to uh, jamie beckett and congratulations on your your new airplane and uh um, you know keep it up sounds cool yeah that's very cool anything else or are we done uh um go ahead a little quickie yeah go ahead uh we'll have a link in the show notes uh to the latest uh callback from nasa's aviation safety reporting system uh commend it to everybody because it talks specifically about the importance of pilot reports, PIREPs, particularly PIREP for weather, 
which is what most of them are about anyway. Uh, <coughs> read it. It's very worthwhile and uh, kind of refresh your memory on why it's incumbent on all of us to uh, share what we're experiencing with those that may be coming behind us or coming from the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. One, one more real quick. Yeah. Um, someone uh, has come across the original plans for the uh, de Havilland Mosquito. Uh, they were literally buried in a file cabinet somewhere and were about to be thrown out. And someone realized what they are, what they were, and has, has uh, um, saved them, obviously. Um, basically, complete plans. It's, it's drawings on microfilm cards. They've been donated to a charity. Um, they include, it's the world's, thought to be the world's only complete set of engineering drawings for the de Havilland Mosquito. Uh, it plus includes details of various uh, different models, variants that uh, they never really made it off the drawing board. Oh, I hadn't um, heard that part. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's just really cool that there's like twenty thousand technical drawings Ooh. involved here. Yeah. Um, uh, oh yeah. All, all of the uh, uh, blueprints necessary to reconstruct these airplanes. Yeah. Hopefully, someone will. I know. Uh, well, Higdon's going to set his Sonics project aside now and start exactly. We start we start getting I got to finish using all this metalworking stuff before I swap it in on woodworking. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And get your you know get your hangar fumigated for termites too. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. No, that is line cool. up a couple of line up a couple of Rolls Royce Merlins. Oh, there. That's a problem. Details, details, details. Come yeah. on, you guys. Yeah. I'll just scrap a couple of Mustangs and I'm on my way. There you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, no, no one will mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's always fun. I, uh, I, I do really enjoy, always enjoy uh, getting together and talking with you. Uh, like you said earlier, uh, it's one of the great side effects, so one of the great byproducts, if you will, of doing this podcast for 11 years, and, uh, and I really enjoy it. I really appreciate it. Um, my two good friends here, uh, Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's AvBot. Magazine, David. What have you been working on? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but something, right? My business aviation column in Av in Av Buyer this week. Yeah. Uh, what you write about? Runs runs tomorrow. Uh-huh. I wrote about the convergence of National Aviation Day on Saturday, uh, the nineteenth, which is Orville Wright's birthday. Yeah. And and the solar eclipse that came on Monday, and how both of them uh, kind of show the value of aviation because of the number of people that came out to celebrate Aviation Day, mm-hmm. and what it means to them, and the number of people that use their aviation access to go up and watch the eclipse from aloft. Very cool. That actually sounds very very cool. Where can people yeah, find fun. that on the on the internet and and other things that you do? Uh, that would be at avbuyer.com. And you look in the magazine for the columnist, and I'm somewhere hidden in there. Uh, you can also find me on AEA.net for Avionics News Magazine, where uh, I have a couple of stories coming up. And uh, uh, coming up in the September issue, which will be along next week, will be a uh, wrap up of the Avionics News at Oshkosh. I can talk about that. So. Often to the races. Uh, Real Higdon on the Twitter machine, and uh, otherwise do a Google search. And remember, I'm not smart enough to be a theoretical physicist, and I don't play golf. 
And my other good friend here in our virtual hangar is, uh, is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Do I dare ask, Jeb? What have you been working on? I'm, I'm, constantly, <laughs> I'm constantly amazed that there's actually more than one Dave Higgin. Um, and and one, once I get past that, then I actually sit down and do some writing on occasion. Uh, right now, I'm between issues on of aviation safety. So um, before the podcast, before this episode started, I was out uh, pressure washing my pool deck. Um, so uh, um, obviously not getting a whole lot of work accomplished. That's but, important uh, work that'll right change. There, you know? that, that'll change over the next couple of days as I gear up for the October. October already. Know, huh? Yeah. issue of, of aviation safety. Um, there will be a, a story in there on touch and goes, um, why we do them, how to do them, how not to do them, and, and uh, um, what to look out for. Um, maybe, you know, if you're having trouble uh, with takeoffs or landings, you know, maybe there's a problem with your touch and goes, not just the takeoffs and landings. So uh, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. There'll be some other interesting material and uh, um, that kind of thing. Uh, every now and then, I also will will uh, grace the pages of AEA's uh, Avionics News at AEA or yeah at AEA.net. Um, every now and then, I'll grace the pages of General Aviation News, uh, GeneralAviationNews.com, and uh, you might even find my byline uh, or uh, or at least on a masthead somewhere for uh, Aviation International News's uh, convention coverage. There you go. And if people wanted to uh, sign up for uh, Aviation Safety Magazine, where would they do that online? AviationSafetyMagazine.com. There you go. One word. And on Twitter, you are? Uh, Am I on Twitter? Oh, yeah, Burnside J. Burnside J. Uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot and a freelance writer and a new media producer. Uh, I'm making progress. I actually did some work this past week on Volume 3 of my Around the Field series uh, from my past years at AirVenture. Uh, hopefully get that thing out sometime early in the fall. Um, in the meantime, if you haven't already, you should look for Volumes 1 and 2, Grassroots Aviation Stories from Oshkosh Years, 1998 to 2004. Um, Got, uh, I should have another video. I'm working on finalizing another video that's not aviation related. It's actually uh, maker. If you're into the maker uh, uh, world, I'm working on a video for uh, about uh, the local maker space, and that should go up on my channel sometime soon. On YouTube, you can find me as uh, youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, on Amazon, search for Around the Field in the Books section. And on Twitter, you can find me at twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, you can also sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, and you can uh, please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. Uh, you can get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And while you're at it, you can go into iTunes, give us a review uh, and a thumbs up and some stars. That uh, really does help get the word out about the podcast. Uh, you can follow the podcast itself on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, the uh, class, the, word, the letter G, and then the word airspace. Uh, you never know what might turn up there. Uh, you can also listen to UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop's mobile app, Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Get your UCAP hat, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP swag shop. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website, 11 years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was something you were going to say to us? 
age has no meaning to pilots because time spent flying is not subtracted from our lifespans. So go fly. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. If only the time spent podcasting was not subtracted from your lifespan. If only that were true. <laughs>